can we take on the duopoly of the GOP and Democratic parties and actually win? Is it possible or is it a, a fight that we're not going to win? Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Instead of focusing on winning arguments, we're teaching the basic fundamentals of sales and marketing and how we can use them to win in the world of politics, teaching you how to meet people where they're at on the issues they care about. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Well, hey there, folks. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show, and thank you for joining us on, of course, another fun-filled episode. I am, as always, your humble host, joining you live from our BNC studios here in lovely eastern Indiana, folks. The recession is right around the corner, and it is time for you to revamp your sales and messaging strategies. If you haven't, I promise your competitors have. So make sure you get some expert help from yours truly. Email me at brian at Consulting.com. All right, let's go towards the topic of conversation today, and that is, well, how do we take on the traditional duopoly? That is the GOP and the Democratic parties, respectively. And we, this question is being raised time and again. It's been one of the topics we've talked about here on The Brian Nichols Show for many a years, and that is because over 50% of Americans say not only do they not want the respective GOP and Democratic parties leading our political discourse, but they actually want a third party. Well, the Libertarian parties out there, they definitely are the largest of those third parties yet have not had any real national slash federal success. So what can we do? What can we actually implement from a strategy standpoint or a political party standpoint to get a different political party into office? To talk about that today, returning to the Brian Nichols Show, William F. Buckley O'Reilly Jr. Bill, welcome back to the Brian Nichols Show. How are you, Brian? Doing good. I got to say, first, hats off to you. You have really built something here. I mean, what episode is this now? <laughs> oh goodness, seven twenty-four, I believe. I mean, it's inc- it's incredible. There's so many of the so many shows begin and then go right flame right out. You're you're like steady Eddie. You've really built something. Well, you it's were amazing. one of the original uh, original folks joining us, like in the the pre episode fifties, I think. Back I, I didn't know that it was in the nineteen fifties. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've we've really come a long way. I guess it's hard to th- to imagine. We were doing one episode a week, and here we are. Now we're doing three. We were doing five, but you know, with the advent of me becoming a dad. That kind of changed up oh, the schedule. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Thank Fantastic. you. Yeah. A lot that, of really cool it. things. It happens to all of us. <laughs> yeah. A lot of cool things have happened here in the show over the past five years uh, since we, we started the program. And to see, I guess, not just myself growing, but, you know, members of the audience growing, hearing their success stories, but also my guests like you, Bill, who've been on the show. Uh, I'm I growing hear- larger by the minute. <laughs> When we started, I was 165. <laughs> well, talk to us about where you've been and what's been going on. When you last joined the show, obviously, you were a part of the Federalist Party of America. A little bit's changed there, and namely because of the challenges that we were just talking about there at the intro. So what's been going on in your world? Yeah, I think I think that's how we met. I was, um, I mean, I was always a re- Republican and a Republican consultant. I've done that since, I guess, 1986, which is going back a, a ways now. I have to start hiding that date. But I was a Republican, but I, I like so many others, was uncomfortable with the direction of the party, um, not just starting in 2015, but a little bit before, but particularly starting in, in 2015. So I was looking for another home. I wasn't a pure libertarian, although I've got strong libertarian instincts. So I was, I, I got involved with the group that put together the Federalist Party of America, which is, of course, a retread of a, a very kind of ancient American party. And, um, and I went out there and I thought there's so many people out there that are, that are not happy with the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. This will be easy. And, um, I was warned by a lot of people that it wouldn't be. And, and they were absolutely right. But we did, we did work very hard for a few years. We ended up linking up with the Alliance Party, which is a, a, a group of, of a lot of smaller parties that got together. Um, out there. 
But it's still, uh, we ended up shutting down the, the Federalist Party just a couple of weeks ago because we determined that in order to, to break through in any meaningful way, it would take hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Just the entire system, and, and you've talked about this, Brian, on the show so many times, but the whole party is so skewed. The whole system is so skewed to two parties. You know, in the newsrooms are set up that way. There's right. a reporter for the Democrats and for the Republicans. The debates are set up that way. The commissions are set up that way. It's, it's really very, very difficult to break in. And what I've also come, come to understand is that, you know, you may have that, you know, almost half of people claiming independence, but of those, you know, about X percent are Republican voters and X are Democratic voters. They go home at the end of the day. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, I, I definitely get it too, right? I grew up much like you, a lifelong Republican, and that was my world. And, there's just this human instinct to want to still always be part of your tribe, right? And if you're not a part of that tribe, you feel sometimes like you're the lone wolf and you're out there on your own. What could happen to me? I don't know. But let me ask you this, Bill, because as you were walking through that, one thing popped up in my head, and that is going back to the fact that there are a majority of Americans who don't exclusively identify one side or the other where are we missing them in terms of getting them to actually see there is a new home for them? Is it that we don't have a concrete message, concrete values, or something in between? There's there's always the the like age old question of whether political parties you know build the candidates or the candidates build the political parties. I've always been on the side of the candidates build the political parties. I think at this point, especially in the um, excuse me for perspiring, I just came in. I was working outside. Oh, likewise. Um, but you know, um, I, I, you know, you probably need a well-known candidate going in, and just mm. the way the country is built, you need that celebrity status or that money status going in. I mean, Ross Perot had a little bit; he had the bucks, you know what I mean. But, but the average person didn't know him, right? Like, you know, you need like a Tom Hanks or somebody out there that's um that's already known, has access to money, and can and can be can has a has a personality established over their political personality. Like the whole thing is to get an independent personality and there's been really nobody out there to do it. What happens is the parties end up kind of panicking at the end and picking somebody that not everybody knows and they're not really well funded. But it's um but it, it is pretty amazing we hear the conversation a lot right now. I mean, how in this country, this beautiful country of ours are these our two choices for president? Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Joe Biden, God bless him, but you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I mean, how are these our choices? Like, how are we not going to put our foot down and say, this is not acceptable? We need somebody else out there, whether it's on the libertarian line, some pure independent line, whatever it is. It, um, I mean, that's, that's an ethos at this point. Like, that's, you hear that everywhere barbershops, yep. buses, trains. Everybody wants something out, you know, someone, another option. They want another choice. They want another choice. And back to the celebrity notion. I think that's also partly why there has been a little bit of a resurgence with the GOP because Trump is kind of that celebrity, right? True. He's flirted with third Great party uh, races for a number of decades. And finally, he pulled the trigger in 2015 when he announced he was going to run as a Republican. And he wasn't even polling, you know, in, in the double digits there until the first debate where he just absolutely went in like a bull in a china shop, did not hold back anything you know making fun of Rand Paul's hair and being short and all the way down then really South Carolina was when Trump 
officially became the frontrunner because he stood there on stage in South Carolina, which, you know, I'm not trying to, to make fun of anybody in particular, but that's that kind of neocon headquarters. And exactly. he looked at George or uh, yeah, George Bush's brother and Jeb Bush on stage and said, your brother lied us into the war in Iraq. And he said that not just to Jeb Bush's face, but in front of a very, very pro Jeb Bush audience. And everybody's like, that's it. Trump's done. He can't make him, you know, make up for that. And what happens? He propels to first place in the primaries and then propels into the White House. So you it, see, it never gets old. It's, right? it's still that extraordinary. I remember watching that debate, and I, I after the debate, I found myself whistling around the kitchen without realizing it. One of these things is not like the other. I was I was whistling that because it was like you have all these competent candidates, and then you got Donald Trump, <laughs> who we know very well in New York. I mean, Trump is he's our tabloid fodder and has been since the eighties. And um, I thought after he said that, I mean, I thought after he said McCain was no hero, I thought that was it. But that celebrity does make a make a big difference and we shouldn't have to go after celebrities, mm -hmm. but it's helpful. It'll be interesting to see how um, how uh, RFK Jr. does. Yeah. Who's, oh, yeah. Um, he, I mean, he's polling decently well. I mean, I don't think he's going to take off that much. He's like 20 percent, right? Yeah. yeah it's, I'd see one at 24. And, um, you know, he, he's been around a long time, too. He's got that name and. Um, you never know. I mean, it could be a factor. It doesn't mean he has to win, but it could be a factor in things. Yep. And um, you get the you get, but you do get the sense that if Trump is the Republican and Biden's the Democrat, and that's no no assurance anything can happen between now and then. But you, it you know we said this four years ago, but maybe this time it'll be enough that someone steps forward. You mentioned, and, and I something. think there are parties out there. I know the Libertarian Party would love a candidate. You know, kind of center right. I'm sure. I'm sure the libertarians could could deal with with a with a, a candidate that's that's not a purist. I mean, that's what we have to we have to start thinking that way. I think, and I think in the past that's that's become a, too much of an obstacle. And now a word from our sponsors. E a b l e s. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols show audience on all orders all you have to do is head to ebels.com and use promo code tbns that's it discount applied again the code is tbns at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality cbd on the market one more time that is code tbns at checkout well and you started to mention something there and i wanted to go back to it and that is the fact that when trump was standing on that debate stage he was standing against what we considered competent candidates and it kind of dawned on me that Maybe the American electorate really doesn't care about that anymore. They don't care about, quote unquote, competency, because what we in the political world would look at someone being competent when the average American looks at them, they don't see competency. They see insanity, like the arguments of, well, are we going to inflate our debt by a couple trillion dollars this year or $10 trillion this year? Your average person's like, if this was my home and we were talking about our finances at home, this wouldn't even be the conversation. You'd be trying to cut back on your your, your spending. You wouldn't be raising your credit. Like adding to credit, it. Yeah, you yeah. wouldn't be raising your credit card limit. You would be trying to cut your credit cards in half, literally and figuratively speaking. So I guess to that point, is it that we in the world of politics are too focused on the political competency 
And we have to start speaking the language of the average voter who's just kind of looking for the bull in the China shop, right? The someone like a Donald Trump who they're going to say the thing that the other politicians aren't going to say because they're terrified of saying it. And he just doesn't give a damn. He knows that at the heart of hearts, this is what the average person believes. Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, I spent a life training politicians to to not make mistakes, to be politicians. And, you know, knowing full well what I was doing and nobody's ever liked politicians. But but before eight, seven, eight years ago, you know, there were fatal mistakes in politics all the time. Mm-hmm. You could make a, a little, little thing was a fatal mistake in the hands of a talented opponent. I mean, they could just, they could tear you apart. And Trump was absolutely the outlier. But, I, but uh, Brian, I think you're right. I think that people want the passion now. They want, they want the, I don't give a damn about the rules. Yep. You know, I care that much. You know, great example of what you're saying was the Rubio debate in, I think it was New Hampshire, where Christie just killed him. And Rubio came across, you know, as I think a robot. Thrice, maybe yep. as like the perfect politician. And it was deadly to him. Yep. It was like the, the worm turned somehow with social media and the rest of it. So I, I think that's right. I think you need somebody who, um, you know, someone who's willing to take the slings and arrows, which is why I think DeSantis was popular too. But they'll, you know, but there's nobody out there right now. We'll have to see. I was looking to see. So fun fact, here's a little uh, yesteryear, Brian, back when I was a GOP uh, club chair back in college, we went to CPAC. Oh, I know, good yeah. good old days. And uh, Marco Rubio, this is after he had just given the State of the Union response as the uh, the head of the GOP. And uh, there was the infamous scene where he, he takes a break and takes a sip of water, right, for the folks who are watching it here on the audio. Um, yep. And he made it into a meme, and he actually had a water bottle uh, that he had had as like a raffle at CPAC, and it was a signed uh, water bottle from Marco Rubio. It said, stay thirsty for liberty, and I entered into the stupid little sweepstakes, and I won. So I have a Marco Rubio water bottle somewhere. Oh, no kidding. That's I, was, I was hoping it was behind me here. I must be at my at my home studio. But um, but anyways, going back to your point, yeah, that, that debate stage uh, situation in New Hampshire where Chris Christie was like, yep, see, there he goes again. He's saying the line. It was so obvious once he called it out that, yeah, Marco Rubio, he was so, so polished that as soon as you started to ruffle his feathers a little bit, he couldn't fly, right? He, he didn't yeah. know how to respond to being called out of being a slick politician. And I think that's something about the, the Trump effect. And this is something I think we're going to look at 10, 20, 30 years down the road, looking at how Trump was able to go from business tycoon to president of the United States in a matter of what, two years? Um, the fact that he was able to do so speaks more from his political acumen of speaking to your voter, not from yes. the, the lens of a politician, but from the lens of a salesman or through the lens of a business person or, dare I say, the lens through a, a stand-up comedian. I mean, you look at any Trump rallies yeah. and they're they're a stand-up comedy bit, right? No, he's, he's, he's hilarious. He's, I mean, he's, he's definitely a funny guy. Did you catch a CNN um, town hall last night? No, just I, could, I couldn't watch it, but I, but I saw the coverage of it. And it's, um, but you make sense. I was just, oh no, go ahead. You were going to make Oh, a I was just going to say, it. I mean, that's what it was last night, right? It was yeah, him it, on it, stage. Anytime Caitlin Collins would ask a question, you'd be like, oh wow, you're a nasty, you're a nasty woman. <laughs> like just, just roasting Caitlin Collins right. on, on stage. And the audience ate it up, Bill. And that's they ate the it up thing. Now, yeah. I, I think that's like, you know, we could talk, you know, for, for a long, long time about it, but I think, you know, Trump calls BS on things and he yep. calls BS on things that aren't always BS. Yep. And that's, you know, but, but. Because of the, um, I think because institutions in the country have let us down so greatly over the last 30, 40 years yep. that the, the, the country was primed not to believe anybody anymore. 
And that's the thing that worries me the most. I worry about it with AI coming, that people, nobody can agree on the same history. You, 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 we're getting into really dangerous ground moving forward historically. And, um, and but, but you're right about Trump. He can call BS on anything. And there's a very large segment of the population that will agree with him. Or they don't yeah. care. They don't care if it's true or not. They just want to say BS, like, shut up. Yep. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, and and it, it didn't it, come out of nowhere. There was there's a reason for it. Is it opening the door for your non-politicians to now get into 100%. the political fray? Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Now, let me ask my follow-up question. Is that a good thing, though, right? Is that a good thing from a governing standpoint to have folks who, what we would look at as, you know, outside of the political bubble, which might be good, but yeah. just pushing them into now all of a sudden this very intricate web of political decision-making that's been made over decades and decades and decades to all of a sudden just say, we're going to you know do our own thing. And I don't know, like house of cards, all it takes is one of those cards to get kicked out and the whole thing comes tumbling down. Now, some folks in the libertarian camp might say, yeah, great thumbs up, right? But, <laughs> yeah, go, baby. <laughs> but then there's, there's the very real impact on your 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 individuals who are currently leveraging government assistance to be able to survive and i'm not saying that you know that's something that we shouldn't try to fix but we have to deal with the fact that that is going to be a consequence so there is going to be very real impact on your average person when we say go in and blow the whole thing up now i say that's you know on the reasons why we talk about self-reliance and folks focusing on as a jordan pearson clean up your own room right try to do things in that world because you can't be a, a you know a successful person in the world of politics or in the world of life unless you focus on yourself first. So that's something I think we really need to start focusing on more in the cultural sense. But I guess going full you know full speed ahead here, do we see a situation where non politicians taking over the the government is a good thing or will be a net negative? What are your thoughts? I think it's a lot to unpack, but I, yeah. I think definitely it's a net positive. But I would I would wish that that those officials would start in legislatures and not in executive positions. Agreed. Agreed. I'm, I'm not saying it's the worst thing to have an executive go in there, but maybe a mayor or that type of thing to jump right into the into the presidency. I mean, it can be done. It's been done before, and you know, er, and early you know founding fathers were not professional politicians. Right. But it's a very complex government. And, um, and don't get me wrong. There's a large part of me that says tear the whole thing down. Like, I think the federal government should be about 20% of the size that it is. Um, but as I've gotten older, I realize the, the danger of tearing things down, um, you know, indiscreetly or indiscriminately. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's tricky, but I do think it's good to have that fresh blood out there. One thing I, I forgot to mention before, which I was going to try and do with the, with the Federalist Party, which is I think in order to, to, to grow in the country, Third parties need to start at the smallest level. You need libertarians or alliance party members, whoever the whatever the party is, and I say libertarian because it's by far the the, the third largest, to take school board seats, yes, dog dog catcher, library board, because those people then go on to run for school board and then they go on to run for state house. And it's like that's how you really build a party. But we always tend to go for the, you know, for the the big the big races because they're sexy and everybody watches them. But I do, I do hope more regular people get involved. And I think they're going to have to. Mm -hmm. I, it's funny. I wrote an, a, a draft op-ed for the, um, for the party about four years ago, an open op-ed to Tom Hanks saying, everybody loves you for a million different reasons. You've played so many of our heroes. Get out there and go for the presidency. You know what I mean? And we ended up never sending it in, but like you hope somebody that's kind of, you know, a Gary Sinise, like somebody that's like a, that's, that's respectful of the military and the rest of it could step forward and at least run for something and mm -hmm. be out there. 
Vince Vaughn, right? Like Vince Vaughn was cheering. Vince Vaughn would be hilarious. He yeah. was cheering Ron Paul back at, when Ron Paul was like actually. I didn't know that. Yeah, putting a thorn on the side of folks. So he was a very big Ron Paul supporter. You got Woody Harrelson out there talking to Bill Maher, explaining why he's an anarchist. And it's like, wow, there are people in in Hollywood. And and again, I don't want to necessarily look only towards Hollywood, but unfortunately, a lot of Americans, the, the celebrity, yeah, the celebrity uh, mentality, it sticks to the Hollywood folks more prominently. I think that we would have a chance there, but then I get scared, right? Because I look at, well, on the flip side, you got folks like Oprah, right, on the the, the left. And uh, I don't know, Bill, like she she would have a, a wave of supporters who watched her for years and they would instantly go and vote for her. Policies be damned. And then I get yeah. I get nervous about are we voting for people versus party and policy? And if that's the case, what's the inevitable outcome of that? Yeah, I mean, if if the parties don't start following through on their promises, that's what we're going to end up with. I mean, I think I mean, I'm okay with with people stepping out of, you know, out of the blue to run for office. I think we want that. It's healthy for the country. But if but you're right, you could get somebody who's famous enough but but a little bit radical that could send us into a into a tailspin. So I think I think it is worrisome, but if like for example, the immigration issue which is so hot today and yesterday and then and tomorrow, the immigration issues, both parties are just using it to raise money. Mm-hmm. Nobody intends to do anything about it. Yep. And it's like all these issues pop up there and we're so sick of it, but there's no there's no option right now. There's no alternative. And I think this goes to back why the Federalist Party of America existed, right? Is that you identify problems that were not being taken care of or, or at the very least even talked about by our federal and uh, national officials. And with that say, okay, well, you know what? Where can we actually have some impact and some say? Let's go to the state level. Let's go to the local level. Let's have an impact there, right? That was the Federalist Party. The entire platform for the Federalist Party was localize everything. The motto was local is better. We went between that and and love your neighbor. You know what I mean? Like take care of things at the local level. Start to claw back you know, the things in the Constitution that got perverted over the, over the years. So the, the Commerce Clause in the 1930s, like the federal government just exploded in size and they now, um, they own us. If you take a federal grant or a state takes a federal grant or a municipality, th- th- those, that fine print, like it ties you up to, to an incredible extent. Mm-hmm. So the idea was of the Federalist Party was to demand that everything get dealt with or adjudicated at the lowest level of government possible. And that was the idea. And I still think, and, and by the way, there's support for that on the left and the right. Yeah. There's the communitarians on the left and the, and the, and some of the, you know, the, the uh, federalists are really anti-federalists on, on the right. Yep. What do you think about national divorce? I'm, I'm curious. I've had Daniel Miller on the show from the Texas National Movement and he's gone through, he's, he's done his, his, uh, his case as to debunking myths about national divorce. But it just seems like maybe this is kind of in the same spirit a little bit of what you guys are promoting at the Federalist Party of America. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I, I kind of fear it would be catastrophic, to be honest. Um, I don't follow it that much. And I, and I, I kind of, I roll my eyes a little bit at it because it would take so much to do that. But I, 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 I understand why people want it, even within states, within, you know, California, you have separatist movements in New York state. Part of upstate wants to secede from downstate. It's, it's not that uncommon. I just think with the, with the debt that we have collectively with military issues and the, and the rest of it, I th- I I don't think it's the direction to go into, but I understand why people want it. You know, I mean, there's no, there's, it's 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 obvious why people want to break free of this government. It's too big. Yep. It's too big. It's too overbearing, and it's getting worse by the day. So if but if they don't do something, that's what these are conversations we're going to be having for real. 
Yep. Well, and, and we are kind of starting to have them for real. We're having like. for real now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was talking to Daniel Miller here, as I mentioned, from the Texas National Movement. Now, actually, folks, I'll include that episode here. If you're joining us on YouTube, it'll pop up like right about here when we uh, we wrap things up. But um, I was talking to Daniel, and we were talking about where is this actually something's happening, right? Is is this just talk, or is this actually something Texas is focusing on? And he's like, Oh no, we are we are a hundred percent focused on this. We've been doing this for 20 years. And what we're actually seeing is now Texas is going to be bringing us to a vote here as we get towards November, where this is on a, the, the actual uh, vote for, for the Texas citizens to, to as a, a referendum to, to say, we're going to get out of the United States of America. And yep. if that moves forward, right, that that changes the conversation from, oh, is this just a, you know a hypothetical pie in the sky all of a sudden to Oh my, this is actually happening. So, you know, as we go towards our final thoughts today, and I'll kick things off if you're cool with it, Bill. Um, yeah. I, I think this is partly the result and the impact of a political class who they, they put themselves in their bubble, right? And, and we talk about this in the world of sales. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That means getting outside of that comfort zone, getting out of your own bubble and, and trying to explore different options. The problem when we look at the political elite in Washington DC and those who support a lot of their, their policies and the way that we basically do things is that they have so isolated themselves and so reinforced that bubble that alternative means of thinking get completely pushed out and, and ignored up to the point that that resentment just builds and builds like a pressure cooker only up to the point that it finally explodes. And I don't want to see the pressure cooker explode. I want to see us be able to, you know, slowly release the pressure, hopefully get things to a point where we're not having some, some actual physical interactions with each other based on terrible outcomes of politicians ignoring the populace more and more. So I say, you know, for my final thoughts, if you are a politician in D.C. or if you're a politician in your state house, like it is imperative that you meet people where they're at, specifically your voters, and don't just talk to them and make them feel like they're being uh, placated, but rather listen to their actual concerns and try to actually address it and do so through the the most, we'd say, pro-liberty lens possible or pro-federalism way possible, as local as possible. Make the local issues have local solutions. That's my final thoughts for today. Bill, what do you have for us for yours? Yeah, my final thoughts are, are bifurcated. The, the first is... um the first is just about the parties themselves. I mean, if the, if they don't if they don't start keeping their promises, it's. I mean, I can't believe they're not keeping them now after what we've been through for the last ten years or so. But if they don't if they don't keep their promises, we're in, we're in big trouble. We're we're in absolute huge trouble. Um, the parties are all about just reelecting people, and these these officials have to be willing to lose their seats. They've got to be willing to give up what they have, and I think. That the voters will reward for them for that, and I've I've seen that in with 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 clients. The second thing is, I thought when we were talking about the um, secession movements, I, I immediately was thinking about a, a Russian scientist. It wasn't Alexander Dugin, but it was one of the political scientists there about 15 years ago, predicted the breakup of the U.S. and um and they drew a map. And I wrote a couple of columns on it, and they drew a map of where it would break, and it was it was um mostly you know geopolitical stuff, and and it and it made some sense. And, um, and you, you laughed at it, but we don't want to make them right. Like we're, we're, we're better off together. We're better off. We're stronger together. But if we're not going to keep our promises and we're not going to, if we're just going to be about reelecting party members to keep majorities, it's not going to work out. This is not going to last long term. 
Yep. Amen. All right, Bill. Well, with that being said, folks, if you got some value from today's conversation, well, you know the drill. Please go ahead, give the episode a share. When you do, please tag yours truly at B Nichols Liberty. Bill, where can folks go ahead and follow you? They want to continue the conversation. Probably the easiest is Twitter. I'm, I'm at WFBOR. So at WFBOR. Which is William F. Buckley O'Reilly. Now, really quick as we wrap things up, I know we talked about this when you were first in the show way back in 2018. Tell us the history of the name William F. Buckley O'Reilly. All right. Well, first of all, I get the, you're right. I get the Bill O'Reilly thing too in the William <laughs> F. Buckley. So my, my mother was Maureen Buckley. She was Bill, uh, Bill Buckley's um, sister. And so there were 10, 10 of the original children. And I, I, my, my line now is I, I show just how that the good genes can fade in the way in the wash, just like anything else. <laughs> so, but it's a, it was a, it was a, a heck of a family, a heck of a generation there. And they built a lot of, um, a lot of great things, national review and, and really built that that conservative movement, which I'm very proud of. Bill, thank you for joining us, folks. If you got some value, again, give it a share. Also, by the way, we are on YouTube. We are on Rumble. We are also on Sovereign. We are really focused on supporting independent media. Ben Swan, he was here on the show a couple months back. His entity that is Sovereign, I am a big fan of it. So please, if you want to go ahead, catch full episodes here of The Brian Nichols Show Head over to Sovereign, and it's a Sovereign exclusive just for you uh, Sovereign viewers. But if you are joining us here on the traditional forums like YouTube, well, number one, hit that subscribe button and little notification bell so you don't miss a single time we go live. And as I teased it earlier, yes, you should be seeing right about here pop up now an episode with our good friend Daniel Miller from the Texas National Movement. Uh, We're going to go ahead and debunk some of those uh, national divorce myths. Uh, Daniel goes through case by case. So, hey, you know, Bill, that might be a good one for you to check out to see if some of your, I'll check it out. your concerns subscribed. are actually addressed there. I think he does a pretty good job going through. But uh, other than that, folks, thank you for joining us here on the program. And uh, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and we'll see you guys next Friday. So it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for William F. Buckley O'Reilly. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.